this is part 22 already of the Gospel of Mark. And uh, the recent messages we've looked at are where we've transitioned from Jesus, the great teacher, uh, to J Jesus, the great miracle worker. And so we, the first thing we looked at was Jesus calming the storm and how he has absolute authority over nature. And then secondly, we looked at Jesus casting out the demoniac. Uh, the demons out of the demoniac were into the herd of pigs, which is the most dramatic story. And then the third instance we looked at last week, Michael Hunter did a great, great job looking at the life of uh, Jairus' daughter as Jesus raised her from the dead, and also the lady that was um, bleeding for so many years, and then Jesus healed her. And so there were the, those were the three miracles that we looked at as part of uh, this last section that we've been looking at out, out of Mark. And so today I want to um, have a, another look at this gospel and we're going to look at a portion out of chapter 5, uh, sorry, chapter 6, we're on chapter 6, the first six verses of chapter 6. I'm going to read it to you and then we're going to look at a couple of things together and I trust it's going to encourage you this morning as we have this time together. So it says in uh, Mark chapter 6 verse 1, he went away from there and came to his hometown and his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many who heard him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, and brother of James and, and Joseph and Judas and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and amongst his relatives and in his own household. And he could do no mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And they marveled and he marveled because of their unbelief. And he went about amongst the villages teaching. So here we come to another a transition in Jesus's ministry and now he goes back to his hometown um, and there's this dramatic uh, um, story here of how his hometown receives him. So it was a great test for, for Jesus. Uh, he wasn't going for a social visit. He wasn't going to visit his family. He was going as a teacher. He was going as a rabbi and his disciples had come with him and so he goes to the synagogue and he begins to teach there. And uh, do you notice that his teaching wasn't really well received? The, the, the first thing we see is there's a kind of contempt that greets him as he teaches in the synagogue. And the, the kind of language of that portion, the people say, uh, where did this man get these things? And they say, how's this wisdom given to him? Um, how such mighty works done by his hands? And then these terrible words, um, that, that the people say, uh, well, the scripture says of the people, that they took offense at him. Um, so the people of Nazareth, the people of Jesus' hometown, they were scandalized because someone with a family background that Jesus had, they were astounded that he could be being used in, in this amazing way. And so there's an old saying that says familiarity breeds content. And isn't that true? Um, they thought they knew Jesus so well that there's nothing that they could learn from him. And um, this is the lesson that we're going we're gonna to look at this morning. And so I've called this message, uh, Who is this carpenter? 
who is this carpenter? And uh, some of the challenges that this brings to us will become apparent as I go through. But they don't, the people of Nazareth don't listen to Jesus for two reasons. And here's the first one. First they say, is this not the carpenter? And it's interesting here because the Hebrew word used for carpenter is tekton. Um, and the word means more than just someone who works with wood. It, it actually means a craftsman. And we know in other places uh, in ancient writing that um, this word tekton was used for people that built ships, for people that built houses, temples that were involved in really difficult um, kinds of construction. And here in this context, every village had a person uh, that was able to, with very little tools, do all sorts of jobs around the village. And so they could build a coop for your chickens if you needed a chicken coop. They could make an addition to your house. Uh, they could mend your gate. They could build a wall. Um, they were craftsmen who could do a whole lot of things in a very skilled way. And this is how Jesus is described. He's described as a craftsman. He's described as someone that uh, went around and did all of these kinds of uh, tasks that needed to be done. But that, what that meant was that Jesus was really an ordinary kind of guy, an ordinary man. I was just thinking of an equivalent for us. He probably would be the white van man driving around, um, doing all kinds of tasks around uh, and helping people uh, with all sorts of things that needed to be fixed. He was, a, he was that kind of, of person that worked with his hands and could do many, many different things. And, and for us, looking back, uh, onto the life of Jesus. And that's part of the glory of Jesus, is that he was an ordinary person, that he was an ordinary man that lived an ordinary life and he, he could understand ordinary people. And we, we would see that as something of, of Jesus' glory, that uh, even though he was the God of eternity, he didn't come with any privileges. Uh, he, he didn't come and put himself in a privileged position, but he lived as an ordinary person, worked as an ordinary person, and that was part of the glory of who Jesus was, that the king of all, of all the universe humbled himself and lived in, uh, as an ordinary person. But for the people of Nazareth, that's what they took offense at, that they couldn't believe anything extraordinary could come from this very ordinary life. And so for us, we also have to be very aware of any temptation to try and evaluate people by the externals that we see. Uh, everyone has great worth and inherent worth in who they are and not just what they look like, not just what they do with their hands or what employment they have. Uh, remember, I always remember the story of David when he was chosen as king. Um, the scripture says that quite plainly that it says people look at the outward, but man looks at the heart. And that's the, that's the thing we always need to remember. Uh, I am... I, um, I always remember that I was in another country. I won't say which country it was, but uh, I was with a church leader and he said to me that actually, you know, because people look at the outside, we should do everything that we can to attract people with external things. And I found myself uh, really thinking about that. Is, is that really true? Is it all about the outside? Is it all about presentation? Is it all about what we present to the world in order to try and win the world? And I don't think that is what the scripture says. God wants, looks at completely different things that we need to point people to the issues of the heart, to what God wants to do inside of them, rather than to look at external things. So that's the first thing that, that why they couldn't hear him, because they dismissed him just as a carpenter and someone who had a very humble background. 
And secondly, do you notice they use this language? They say, is this not Mary's son? Do we not know his brothers and sisters? And the brothers and sisters are, are mentioned there in that portion. Um, the fact that they use this phrase, is this not Mary's son, tells us that most likely Joseph was already uh, dead, that he'd already passed away. And I think that's a key to helping us to understand one of the great puzzles of Jesus's life. Uh, he, was, he was 33 when he died at the cross, and yet he only left Nazareth when he was 30. So the point is, well, what was he doing for those 30 years when the world needed to be reached and he needed to preach the gospel and the good news uh, to his community? Um, well, most likely it was the fact was probably that Joseph died at a young age. And so Jesus took it upon himself to support his mother and his brother and his sisters. And it was only when they were at a place where they could support themselves that he left to take on a greater ministry. And so there's a little lesson in that for us as well, that often too we are called to smaller things and to be faithful in smaller things before God releases bigger ministries to us. And that uh, we too are called to take care of those that are closest to us and love us uh, and those that we love so that we can do that work for God as well. And so God, he, Jesus was faithful in the small things and then God released bigger things to him. And yet at the same time, the people of Nazareth dismissed him simply because they knew his family. Sometimes when there's a familiarity uh, that should be bring a growing respect, it does the opposite and it brings an increasing contempt of people that we know very well. Um, this is what I mean. Sometimes uh, when people are too near uh, to us, we've stopped seeing their greatness. We stop seeing just how wonderful they are. We stop seeing just how magnificently God is using people. And it's often those that are closest to us that we miss that, that in. And so we need to always uh, be aware of how we see people and really evaluate them in the same way that God evaluates them. And so the, the real tragedy of all of this, the result of all of this, is, is that the scripture says, Jesus could not do any mighty works amongst them because of their unbelief. And um, if there's a wrong atmosphere of unbelief, there are some things that simply cannot be done if the prevailing atmosphere is one of, of mockery or unbelief or just simply uh, dismissal, then the, the work of, of God is hindered in that kind of context. And I'd like to just uh, unpack that a little bit with you a little bit further. Uh, do you, first of all, there can be no healing if people refuse to be healed. And this is what I mean. I want to I uh, use these words carefully. Um, I've read stories um, uh, many stories of, of people that literally give up the will to live uh, and pass away. For example, I've read stories of old couples that have been married for many, many years, and then one of the, the partners passes away, and within a very short space of time, the other partner also passes away. There's literally uh, the sense of uh, not wanting to carry on without the other person, and they simply lose the will to live, and they too pass away. And so, there has to be uh, within all of us a desire to want to live, a desire to want to survive. And we can't really go through life without that deep-rooted desire to want to carry on. And history is, history is full of extraordinary stories of people surviving the most dire circumstances because there's a deep-rooted 
fundamental belief that they are going to get through a very difficult situation. And the same way, Jesus wanted to do mighty works. He wanted to do amazing things amongst the people of Nazareth. And the question was that they responded to him with unbelief. And because they responded with unbelief, he couldn't do any mighty works amongst them. And so they resisted him. They didn't welcome him. They dismissed him as the carpenter. They dismissed, it, dismissed him as someone they just knew very well and had grown up amongst them. And for that reason, he couldn't do any mighty works amongst them. And uh, those words startled me when I was preparing this. Jesus said he marvels at the unbelief. Uh, I find that uh, extraordinary. And uh, I certainly want to live my life in a way that God won't say the same of me. That my default would be that I do trust the Lord. My default would be that I'm full of faith for what he can do. And that he can marvel at my belief and my trust rather than my unbelief. And so God wants to do amazing things amongst us. Even at this extraordinarily difficult time in our nation. God wants to do amazing things in our lives. Mighty works in us and mighty works through us into our communities and into the surrounding people that are our neighbors and our friends, that he wants to do mighty works through us. Will we resist him? Will we welcome him? Will we dis dismiss Jesus or will we respond with faith so that he can marvel at the great works that he wants to do through us? And so that's the first thing. Uh, he could do no great works because of the unbelief. Secondly, there can also be no preaching in the wrong atmosphere. Um, I'm certain that every time we gather, and this is really unusual that we are gathering online, but uh, as we normally gather together, um, I'm, I'm convinced that the times that we get together would be so different if we all remembered that 50% of the preaching, half of the sermon, is, is, um, uh, is determined by those that hear. If there's an atmosphere of expectation, even the poorest uh, message that's not delivered well will be effective and will have life. If the atmosphere is cold, if the atmosphere is critical or just blah, just indifferent, even the most spread-filled, well-prepared, uh, well-delivered message will fall back lifeless to the ground. And so I want to encourage you as we seek to navigate through these next months that are ahead that are going to be very difficult for all of us. Let's keep our hearts open toward, towards uh, what God want to, wants to say to us, uh, regardless of who the messenger is. Let's receive with a soft and open heart and uh, take what God says and put it into practice in our lives so that we can be most effective for Him. Um, so that's the second thing, that there can be no great preaching in the, with, without expectation, without, without that atmosphere of trusting with faith. And third, uh, we can't really see peace being made, either, either if, if the atmosphere is wrong. And what I mean by that is this, if people get together with criticism in their hearts, they will criticize. If you, people get together and refuse to understand another person's point of view, that, that will be the result of, of the meeting. It will be misunderstanding. Um, if people get together with each other and, and come with an attitude of only wanting to present their point of view, 
that's all that will be the result. They will only see their own point, their own point of view and no one other's point of view. But if we can, at this time, really come together with loving Jesus with all of our hearts and seeking to love each other with all of our hearts, then even those that are disconnected can be brought together in Him. And that's the wonder of what Christ does. So there's a tremendous responsibility on, on all of us that we can either help the work of Christ in the world or we can hinder the work of Christ in the world. And that is determined largely by how we receive things by faith and how we live them out. And so in conclusion, uh, my encouragement to you, my challenge to you this morning is, what are you going to do with this carpenter, um, this man Jesus? I hope that you will welcome him. I hope that you will welcome him into your heart, into your life. I hope that you will work with him so that he can do amazing things in you. And most importantly, that he can do amazing things in you, but also through you into a world that desperately needs the, the light of Christ at this point. If there was ever a time for God to do mighty works through those that love him, it's now. Uh, it's now that our community most needs Jesus. It's, a, it's, a, it's now that our communities most need the light of Christ in this crisis that is a worldwide crisis. And so I want to invite you, I want to invite you uh, over the next while as we continue to journey through Mark, that you would um, reach out to those around you in every way that you can, that you would be light, that you would be salt to those that need Jesus, that you would you would be a neighbor to those that need a neighbor. And I want to invite you um, at the end of this, this time that uh, perhaps pick up the phone, uh, get online, Skype someone, and let them know that you love them. Uh, just connect as best as we can to, uh, during this time when we are separated physically so that we can show the love of Christ to those around us. I trust you found this helpful. And God bless you and keep you. God make his face to shine upon you. God give you peace. May you know his peace in the extraordinary way, in these extraordinary times. Amen.